Christmas really is a great time to reflect on the person and the ministry of Jesus. And this morning we want to do that by looking at a passage of Scripture that reveals some really beautiful truths about this Jesus. And it was prophesied or promised about Jesus about 700 years before Jesus was actually born. So listen as I read Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. Tim read verses 6 and 7 earlier. I would like to read verses 1 through 7 as we begin. Now, keep in mind as I read this, the end of chapter 8 ends with utter darkness. Uh, It was not Isaiah's writing to Judah at a time that Life was not good in Judah because of their persistent disobedience. And Isaiah's writing to let them know, to prepare them, that they are going to be taken into exile in Babylon. So these were dark days for Judah. And the end of chapter 8 ends with utter darkness. There's hopelessness. And though the Lord spoke to them often, many would not listen. Um, But listen now as I read the first seven verses of chapter 9. Listen to what the Lord promises to do. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them his light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as They are glad when they divide the spoil for the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor. You have broken as on the day of Midian for every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire for to us a child is born, to us a son is given And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness, From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So God gave a message of hope for his people through the prophet Isaiah. But what exactly did he say? Well, the first thing that we see in verses 1 and 2 is that Jesus is a light for all people, for Jew and for Gentile. Now, what is significant about verse 1 is this. 
There was gloom in the past, but in the future a light will shine, is what Isaiah uh, prophesies here. This light will honor Galilee of the Gentiles, or the, the nations, many nations. Zebulon and Naphtali were the first to be overrun by the Assyrians who took Israel captive in the year 721 B.C. Um, they are on the west and the north of the Sea of Galilee. And Isaiah indicates here in the Gospel of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 16, affirm that Jesus ministering in this very part of the region made a very important statement that Jesus came as a light not only to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. That is, Jesus is a light for all people. He, he is a light for you. Also, Jesus is cause for joy, great joy. Verse 3, um, so, so many times throughout the Old Testament, only a small remnant enjoyed the blessings of God. But here we are told that the blessings of Jesus will reach a much larger group of people. Many people will have their joy increased because of Jesus. Not just a small few, but many people will have their joy and blessings increase. They rejoice because of Jesus, but notice how. Like people rejoice at harvest, or as men rejoicing when dividing the plunder. Um, when Isaiah refers to people rejoicing at the harvest, he's talking to people who lived off the land and eating through the winter months was dependent upon a good harvest. And he's speaking to people that are thrilled and exuberant because they won't go hungry because they have received a good harvest. A good harvest means that they'll eat well throughout the winter. That's cause for great rejoicing. Isaiah also says that men rejoice as when dividing the plunder. So in other words, their, their enemy has been defeated and they're now dividing the plunder rather than them being defeated and their enemies dividing up their plunder. Again, that's reason to rejoice because they're going to live and not die. So we, we see here how it's really in Jesus that our sin against the holy God is forgiven. The guilt of our sin is washed away by Jesus. That's reason for you and I to rejoice. In Jesus, the power of sin has been broken and therefore we, we no longer, as believers, no longer have to be dominated by sin. We can say no to the temptations that come our way. That's reason to rejoice. In Jesus, we have life and a future, uh, a future that's filled with hope. That's reason to rejoice. In Christ, we, we can, we have been enabled in Christ by the Spirit to love God and to love people with all of our heart. We're, we're growing in that. That's reason to rejoice. The, the work of Christ is at, at work in us. 
Also, we learn here in verses 4 and 5 that Jesus is our deliverer. The statement in verse 4, for as in the day of Midian's defeat, is really pregnant with meaning. Um, do you remember how Midian was defeated? Um, God had sent Gideon to defeat the Midianites. And so Gideon rallied an army of 32,000 people to help with that war. But God whittled down that army to just 300 men. And with those 300 men, not 32,000, but with 300 men, the, the vast and the fearsome Midianites were defeated. So the question is, why did God do this? He, he did it to demonstrate that victory comes from God. Um, folks, our bondage and slavery to sin can only be defeated by Jesus Christ. Answers for the problems that we face in life come from God. He is our deliverer. Um, he calls us. In fact, in fact, he commands us to trust him. Uh, to trust Jesus, not man, to trust him. And, and then we also see in verses 6 and 7 how Jesus is our king. Verse 6 says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. So the use of the term child here indicates that Jesus was born. He was fully man. Uh, he was born of the Virgin Mary, the Use of the phrase son is given speaks of royalty, indicating that Jesus is from God. He's fully God. And the phrase the government will be on his shoulders indicates that he, he rules. He is the ruler. He's the king. So th this baby born some 2,000 years ago that we celebrate at Christmas is no ordinary child. Certainly Though born in a manger because the inn was full, and though born with, in poverty with no worldly glitter, this child born to us some 2,000 years ago was in fact fully man and fully God, and in fact came to be king. Now, in that time, Names that were given to children had meaning. Names were not picked out because they, they liked the way the names sounded. Names were given to tell us something about the person. And there is much to know about Jesus, and that's why Jesus has been given many names. And we're told here that he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, as a wonderful counselor, this Jesus will always have supernatural or divine insight in making wise decisions. Um, we know that throughout the history of time, many kings, many kingdoms, many nations have been ruined by poor decisions. But with Jesus, he will always operate with complete knowledge and wisdom. He will always know what is very best to do. Um, you and I have every reason to be comforted by this. 
Um, Jesus knows you better than anyone. He cares for you genuinely. He is wise and compassionate. He's full of wisdom. He's full of compassion for you. He is the perfect balance between grace and truth. He's both of those things. He speaks truth, but he pours out undeserved favor into our lives. When problems come, and if you are anything like me, problems come again and again every day throughout the week, we have every good reason to run to Jesus in faith, to cry out to him, to depend upon him, no, to, to trust in him. There is no one who is a better listener, no one who gives a uh, better advice, no one who understands us better. He is the wonderful counselor. That's who we celebrate, the birth of Jesus, the, the wonderful counselor. He's also the mighty God. That means he will always have the power to do what is best. Um, our, our King Jesus will never be in a position where he knows what is best but lacks the power to accomplish it. He, he will be our defender, and no foe will ever be able to stand against him. Uh, we need constant reminder that Jesus is the mighty God. He is all-powerful. He commands the heavenly Host, a, a multitude of angels to carry out his will. It would be very easy to conclude if we look just in the world or watch news today that evil is going to win the day, but we must remember that Jesus is the mighty God. He has a perfect plan for the universe and in fact, for your individual life. And no one, absolutely no one can thwart his plan. He is the mighty God. He is also the everlasting Father. Um, you might ask, how can he be the Son and the, the Father at the same time? We certainly affirm one God made up of three persons, that's the, the Trinity, but here... Everlasting Father really describes the faithful, unchanging, eternal care of Jesus, the, the kind of care that a loving father gives to his child. Uh, Jesus will give fatherly care for his people. Jesus will care for you personally better than anyone else. He is strong. He's tender. Um, because of the work that he did on the cross to redeem his people, he is safe to approach anytime, anywhere. We can run to him for he cares for you. Um, I love 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. It says this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time, he may exalt you, casting all of your cares upon him because he cares for you. Um, oftentimes, we focus on that last little portion, casting all of your cares on him because he cares for you, and that is a wonderful truth. But 
That would really be impossible for him to do without the first part of that verse, which describes him as the mighty God. And he invites us, and in fact commands us, to willingly submit to, humble ourselves before the mighty God, so that at the proper time, in his time, he will exalt us. He, he invites us to be a people who cast all of our cares on him because he cares for you. And then finally, not only is he the ever, everlasting father, he is the prince of peace. His rule brings stability and peace and blessing upon blessing to his people. Um, we live in a world filled with unrest, and in our own hearts we often experience a lot of noise. It's easy to be overwhelmed with the cares of this world. Um, but in Jesus, as we talked about last night, in Jesus we have peace with God. We were separated from God, but because of the person of Jesus, the, the work of Jesus, it's possible for us to be brought back to a proper relationship with the Father in Jesus, we can have peace with one another. It, it's a beautiful thing when, when there aren't issues that divide us, when we experience peace with one another. Jesus established that, and he gives us the spirit that enables us to, to maintain that. And we can experience peace in our own hearts. Um, when Jesus and the disciples were in the boat and it was storming, the disciples were anxious and fearful. Where was Jesus? He was sound asleep. Uh, the disciples woke him up and they accused Jesus of not caring for them. Don't you care that we are going to drown? And Jesus lovingly rebukes them and says, why, why are you anxious? And then he, he rebuked the wind and it instantly calmed down and they began uh, to worship him they fell down in fear before him recognizing the authority that jesus had to calm the storm he is the prince of peace he enables us to experience his peace um, even in the midst of, of storms um, but also last night as we talked about as good as life is for a believer today the best is yet to come and uh, Jesus went up into the clouds and disappeared from our sight with a promise that he'll come again. Um, we need to think about that day, because that day is going to be a great day when everything in the universe is going to be renewed and we'll be in the presence of Jesus bodily, uh, enjoying him in an uninterrupted way. Um, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Um, throughout redemptive history, we have seen again and again man fall short, uh, but God is faithful, and we can know for certain that without even a shadow of a doubt that God will do exactly what he has promised to do. This child born to us some 2,000 years ago is no ordinary child. In fact, in him we find the perfect fulfillment to all of what the Old Testament promises and all of, of what the Old Testament pointed to, including reigning on King David's throne for.
forever, just as Second Samuel promised, that there will be no end to his reign as king. And the end of verse 7 tells us why this is and will be accomplished by the zeal of the Lord God Almighty. God has a plan. God has the power to carry out that plan. God has the passionate desire to see that plan accomplished perfectly, and he will do this to promote his own glory, and he will do this to demonstrate his love for his people, and nothing, absolutely nothing, will hinder the work that God has promised to do, in fact, will do. And so, this morning, my question for you is this. Do you know, do you see Jesus, the child born in a manger, born to be king? Do you see Jesus be the kind of king who is called a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, and the prince of peace? He, he invites us to trust him, to rest in him, to give thanks to him, to worship him, to think about who he is, think about how he has promised to meet our greatest need and to care for us and to walk with him each and every day. Um, not overwhelmed with fear and anxiety, but filled with the kind of peace that passes all understanding, the kind of peace that only he can give. My prayer is that you will experience that peace today. Let's pray together. Father, what an amazing thing you have done. Um, it was many, many years ago that Adam and Eve first sinned, and the Old Testament was filled with promises, even as early as Genesis 3, a promise that a deliverer would come. Throughout the Old Testament, there were periods of time that were dark and difficult, and yet you spoke, you revealed, you promised that you would send a deliverer, one to rescue us, and at just the right time, you did that. You sent Jesus, born of the Virgin, fully God and yet fully man, to be our Savior. And Father, we're thankful to you today for that gift of grace, for your expression and manifestation of love for us. I'm thankful, Father, that we are not here alone. As believers, we live under your watchful care. We are thankful that you are the wonderful counselor. You always know what is very best to do. You are the mighty God. Nothing is too difficult for you, and we trust you. You are the everlasting Father. Your care is for us is unparalleled. And Father, help us to be a people that just trust you, and you are, in fact, the Prince of Peace, the one that brings peace, the one that gives peace, the one that ministers peace. You are the one that we need more than any other. And Father, we're here today with thankful hearts because you have opened up our eyes and you've enabled us to see the gift of your Son 
and all of the blessings that he gives. Help us, Father, today. Help us each day as we think about the week ahead, the weeks ahead, the years ahead, however much time you give us. Help us to live every day trusting you, comforted by you, uh, given courage by you. Help us, Father, to love you with all of our heart, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in response to our God being such a great God in giving us the wonderful gift,